Welcome back again to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Good to be back. We had to take a week off um, job and a little bit of time off. You know, kind of took us away from a little but we're uh, anxious to get back and anxious to get going on everything. And I'm here with Dave again. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, you had a little bit of vacation. I had a lot of work. And yeah. uh, sorry it took so long to get back to you guys. We're going to try to keep this weekly, but, you know, sometimes it happens. Yeah, sometimes we might do two or three a week if we do it busy here. And then yeah. other times it might have a two-week break on it. But we're, we'll try to keep it as consistent as we possibly can. Hey, man, you went to a match today. 22, tell me about it. Ah, uh, yeah. So it was not a not a really big match. It was... Uh, the, the owner's name, his name's Russell. Uh, it's actually Deer. It, it, on Facebook, a lot of people probably see him. It sounds like Door, but it's actually yep. Deer. Yep. I figure. And he uh, he owns a couple things there. He's got uh, Crossroad Precision Rifles, LLC, I believe. You mm-hmm. can check him out on Facebook. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he has a website yet. And then he has, uh, it's called Riggs Ranch 22. Right. And what he's got there, it's, it's kind of cool. It's just a little small spot in the ranch, a little caliche pit. He's got maybe maybe 30 yards wide yeah and then he can go out to about 110 yards yeah which at first glance it sounds eh, whatever yeah this dude's not playing around yeah like it, <laughs> no man it went there like our first stage was uh, anybody that's familiar with the nrl 22 kyl rack so it's a i think it's a it goes down to a quarter inch it's usually a 50 yards so about right. a half and away 100 yards yeah he did it at 100. i did it at 100 yards yeah good for him um i'm not even sure I mean, if you if you don't have your stuff really dialed in, I'm not even sure if it's you know consistently capable. I mean, they're com- capable of doing it, but I don't know if shooters have really dialed their stuff in. You know, yeah, that's that's some bench rest territory, you know, yeah, or sure. F class, which is cool. Yeah. It, it it raised my I was like ooh because I think I got to like the second target, mm-hmm. and if you missed, you had to start over. Yeah, and you know everybody's tapping out at the second one, and you're like, man, I, uh, it, you know how we always say when you think you're good. <laughs> here comes russell apparently yeah here comes russell and uh then another couple stages he had one that was unsupported standing support side yeah i don't don't even know if i've really done i can't i'm sure i've done it at some point but i don't remember the last time i shot unsupported support side yeah it was a a full-size ipsic at 100 yards so it really wasn't that Not big a terribly deal. difficult target. No, I think uh, some guys are a lot of guys getting six, seven. I think I got ended up with like nine. Uh, mm-hmm. Jason Gutierrez, I think he came in like second to brawl last year. He yep. he got like a. Uh, I think he cleaned it. Yeah. Uh, then he did a stage. It was uh, similar to. Could you use your sling? Yes. Yes. Um, however, you know, running your bolt sling and all that. Yeah. It got a little bit there. Thankfully, I actually dropped my uh, voodoo back into a KMW Sentinel. So I'm only by fourteen pounds today. So yeah worked out i don't 22 might not have 22 pounds might not have worked out yeah and so you could use a sling i don't know if too many people did that's something to practice is getting into your sling and maybe getting out of it to run the bolt or yeah. you know maybe that's something to look at we're going to run through that at the academy yeah we'll have to do that yeah for sure and um so that wasn't too bad terrible and, and if you think about it i mean a uh, ipsic at 100 yards if you're working behind a rifle that's about what'll happen if you have to take a shot standing or something a person yeah. you know, animal size person mm-hmm. size at 100 yards so that it, nothing impractical right and then he did another one where there were no bags no equipment allowed i think it was like 50 yards maybe a two or three inch target mm-hmm. and you just had any position mm-hmm. uh, a lot of guys did like some modified hawkins i think yeah. uh you know i so no bipods either no bipods oh well, nice no no nice. uh cool. but he didn't care if he did he didn't outlaw hawk i specifically asked him because i didn't want to like mess it up at what he wanted so i asked right. him about hawkins he's I don't, I don't care so yeah. it was still challenging you know you yeah. put your fist under there and it's still you got to, you know, climb over your rifle and get yeah, in that position. For sure. Uh, 
so I don't remember how many people there are like 10 or 12. It's not a few, but I'm actually, I asked him uh, you know, how many he could fit there and we might look at doing something a little bit bigger there, trying to get him some more people because it's, it, you know, it's well, I don't challenging. Think he started advertising it until mm-hmm. just a few days before. Yeah. He hasn't my done understanding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's been doing it a while, but he's not really, uh, Oh, and then by the way, it was like, uh, with a mulligan, uh, it was $20 and he had pulled pork and beans. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you know, nice. so, and everybody just had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, there's no complaining. There was no, oh man, this is too tough or anything. Everybody yeah. just had fun. It didn't matter what. Hey, their did y'all get was. to shoot that target that floats in the bucket? We did. Yeah. We shot it off the rooftop. We did get to use a bag. Yeah. That thing starts moving. If you get the big enough bucket, yeah. Water. I mean, that thing starts moving. Well, if you don't know about this target, what it is, it's a it's specifically for rim fire. But he has one. I spoke to him the other day, and he has one coming on for center fire too. But what it is is a piece of uh, like all two thread, inch, yeah. yeah, two inch tubing at the top of it that's only two inches tall. So it's a two inch by two inch target, and a piece of all thread that goes down. And and we're go. Let's go down to the bottom of the all thread. Or I'm just going to talk you through it. There's going to be a, a nut on there with a washer. Underneath the washer is one of those styrofoam floaties that you would put like on a fishing net. Like oh, crab trap or something. Yeah, yeah, crab trap. So then it goes through that. And then underneath that is like a five pound weight. And under that is another washer and a nut. And so you fill up a, a like a watering trough, like for horses or whatever. And you put this thing in there and it floats upright because of that weight. And then whenever you hit it with a 22, it starts dancing the salsa. And so you get to shoot at it while it's moving. It's a very cool target. I think he calls it the snake charmer. The snake charmer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a pretty, pretty ridiculously cool target. I like it a lot. Yeah. So that was, that was good. It was just good to see that there's still even little match. It, it doesn't matter how big the match is, but there's still pockets of these matches that are really going to, you, you don't even know when you, you show up, you're like, wow, that just. Yeah. That's it's kind of rough. Yeah, well, some of the other some of the other South Texas guys were out here yesterday shooting, and they were planning on all going, and uh, they they just raved about that place. I mean, oh, it's really nice. Yeah, yeah. And, it's very and, simple, and but too, it's nice. Super guy. Oh, great guy. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, awesome. Well, how'd you place? Uh, second, uh, yeah. Jason got me. We it was uh, very similar to um, kind of like your point two um, yeah. thing. He said we had four targets. And you had to decide which one you were going to shoot at. Mm-hmm. You had ten, you were on the gun, but you had ten seconds to take one shot. Yep. And of course, we all went for the the, the far one. It was right. 110 yards, but it was yep. a one inch. Uh, but there was wind too, yep. so a one inch at 100 yards, it, it's it's very doable. Yep. But you know, if you mess up, so uh, Jason smacked it. Uh, lesson learned: there was a little bit of wind. So I was watching how he, you know, what was going on down there. And then I sat down and I, I felt the wind stop, but of course I still used the wind hold yep. and missed it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, but yeah, he got me, that was worth seven points. He beat me by seven. Yeah. So about a, a one shot, a shot. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Good for him. Oh no, he shot Good really well. Good too, man. Good shooting. Yeah. Thanks. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. The, um, the, those 0.2 targets that we have out there, you know, they're 0.2 mils from, you know, 300 out to a thousand and they'll, they'll definitely They'll definitely test you in the wind because they're only, you know, 12 inches wide and uh, just that point, too. I mean, make sure you got to have your stuff pretty well dialed in. Well, cool. Well, I have like so much stuff that I want to talk about. And before I do that, I just wanted to take care of some business that we normally do at the end of the podcast. But I want to do it at the beginning of the podcast. We all know that uh, David and I are setting up the Voodoo Rimfire Academy as well as the Voodoo 22 series. Um, Well, what we're doing is we're putting together rifles. And these rifles will go wherever we go, where if we're training here at Rifles Only, they'll be here. If we're training in Colorado, they'll be there. Uh, wherever we end up, uh, w- these rifles will go. And the reason that they're going to go is somebody wants to take the course or shoot the competition and they don't have equipment yet. 
these rifles will be there for them to use. Um, Voodoo is, of course, doing the barreled actions. Uh, Magpul has stepped up. Magpul already has sent the, the stocks in, so we have the stocks for them. Uh, Leopold, uh, our buddy Buck worked this out for us. Leopold is going to put their, their Mark V scopes on them. And then we're very, very close to getting Thunderbeast to do the bipods. So if y'all want to see some of this uh, really, really good equipment and get a chance to shoot it, I just want to give a shout out to those guys because they're really stepping up so that people who haven't got the equipment or just kind of think about getting into it, they can come and, and drive some really good equipment and, uh, and, and, you know, just, you know, have fun and learn about the 22. So that's it. The other thing I wanted to talk about was April 25th down here at rifles only. We're having the 22 match. That's the uh, Texas. What? We're going to call it the, I guess for now, we're going to see what happens over the years, but we'll call it the Texas State Rimfire Championship. All right, cool. Yeah, we were out We were out driving around at Rifles Only here uh, looking at the events that we're going to do. And it's going to go back to like when we talked to Frank on the podcast and me and David have talked about, there's going to be some movement in there. Not these, not these crazy things that are going to kill you, but you're going to have some movement between, you know, your shooting positions with some really interesting targets. I had gone out and done some some berm work to where we'll use the old standbys, you know, the post, the helicopter. Um, and I have a very interesting moving target in this. I think two of them will have, two events will have movers. Um, and so, again, it's just going to be a little bit different than your normal, you know, drop a bag on something and then pull the trigger. So Yeah, and we've, I'm still working out the details, so I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be some crazy spread, crazy price table, but there's going to be some really good stuff given away. Well, good, good. Good. Glad to hear that. All right. I'd ask David, uh, I'll get into the training section of this. Have we talked about getting straight behind the gun? And um, <clears throat> here at Rifles Only, uh, inside our barn here, I've got a grid on the ground. And what this is, you can put your rifle in that grid. So your rifle is, you know, square and perpendicular. And then you get your body into that position. Um, being square behind the gun. And the way I say is, I'm going to put the gun, I'm going to point the gun at the target. And then I'm going to stand up. And then the, I'm going to stand behind the rifle like I'm going to go prone with it. And I'm going to draw an imaginary line that comes straight down the bore of the gun. And then I'm going to draw an imaginary line between my toes. And that angle must be at 90 degrees. And where that bore line comes in, it's going to come right to the inside of my right thigh. So it'll match up with my shoulder pocket, you know, where we're, or where we're planning on hold, putting that rifle into our shoulder. Then what I'll do is I'll simply drop to my knees. And whenever I drop down to my knees, and this is all for centerfire stuff, I drop down to my knees, I'm going to keep that imaginary line coming down the bore, and then I'm going to draw an imaginary line between my knees. Again, I want that at, to be at 90 degrees. Uh, then I'll simply fall into the rifle. And once I've already got the rifle set up, like I'm getting ready to shoot, rifle's in the shoulder pocket, I've got a little bit of forward press on the bipod, very little. And what I'll do is I'll just pick up my head. And I'll look right and left to make sure that the lay of my shoulders has not got me cocked off. For right-handed shooters, you tend to cock off to the left-hand side. The reason that we want to get straight behind this gun is because the recoil on the rifle is going to exploit an angle. If so, there if there is an angle between you and, and the shoulder pocket what happens is it will cause your rifle to bounce to the left. For right-handed shooters, it's very common. Uh, we come out here at the beginning. Did I shut off? I'm still going? Okay, all right. Anyway, uh, so the rifle will end up bouncing off to the left, and it's just because the recoil is actually exploiting the angle that's right there in your shoulder pocket. Man, I lost my sound. Uh, mess with that again? Seems like it might be in there, yeah. 
technical thing. All right, it's back. All right, very good. You sounding better? Yeah. Good? Oh, yeah, okay. it's all good now. And so at any rate, the reason that we, I mean, rifle bounce, okay, you know, what really does, I mean, does that affect my accuracy? Does it affect, you know, one thing or, or another? Well, what it does is it, it, it gets your rifle off target. And so you're not necessarily able to see the result of your shot through your optic. And we want to be able to solve that. There's there's a couple of there's actually three different items that would cause your rifle to bounce off to the left, and we'll either explore those here in a little bit, or we'll explore them on a different podcast. But we want to get straight behind that gun whenever we're shooting it prone, and when we're in alternate positions, we want to get as straight as we can as well. And again, the whole idea is so that you can see the fall of your shot, whether you miss the target or whether you hit your target, you need to be able to see it. Um, well, why? Okay, so first off, let's go with the obvious reasons. If I hit the target, I want to know that the target's hit. If I miss the target, I want to know where did I miss so I can get my second shot correction. Uh, Whenever we do this, a lot of times what people will do is they will decide, okay, I'm going to hold this for wind. And they continue to hold the same hold for wind all the time, even though they're missing. You need to be able to see it. And I've talked about this before. Whenever you go in there and and the wind is always going to be that thing that gets us, you know, just like you were talking about at the match today, you know, it's going to be one of those things that comes up and bites us, but we need to be able to see where that bullet fell. Um, With the wind, and this is going to lead into trigger control here in just a second, but we need also to be able to see the fall of our shot because it helps us with moving targets. And you say, okay, I'm shooting a static target. Jacob's lost his mind. What the hell does he mean by that? Well, the thing about it is, is we grew up playing, you know, football or hockey or soccer. And so like I have uh, the hockey puck and I'm going to pass a hockey puck to my teammate because he's in the clear for maybe getting a goal, but he's skating pretty fast. And if I put the hockey puck and I kick it right to him, uh, it's going to go behind him. So what I have to do is I have to kick that hockey puck to where he's going to be. And the reason once you play this game a little bit and football is the same thing, you know, you got a receiver and he's headed sideways. The quarterback's going to get into his get into his zip code more often than not. But the reason is, is because you knew about time of flight. You could look at that distance and you know about time of flight. Whenever you're shooting your targets out here, 200, 300, 400, 500 and beyond, what happens is without any extra effort on your part, you learn about time of flight. But it's going to have to be one of those things. you got to be straight behind the gun so that you can see that. Again, it takes no extra effort on your part to learn about the time of flight. Um, there, there's interesting things that have happened, and I've been able to use this. I, I, one of the examples, um, we were going to uh, Southwest, uh, or I guess it's Texas State now. Okay. We were going to go up there to our, for a, uh, a uh, barbecue. My, my niece was going to graduate. Those are last year, so we went up there for a tailgate party. So James, my brother-in-law said, Hey man, go shoot a couple of pigs. I said, okay. Um, so I went over there and I'd fed out for the pigs and I figured out pretty much when they were going to be showing up. So Lisa and I went over there and I was shooting a two, two, three bolt gun and they came out. And so I shot that one and he dried right there. And then it kind of spooked the other ones. And so I was zeroing in on another one. And I said, well, as soon as he stops, I'm going to shoot. And then I thought to myself, why am I waiting? I know I can make this shot. Hmm. So I pulled out about three quarters of a mil in front of him, pulled a trigger, um, shot him. He didn't make it. And then the pig behind him didn't make it. So I did uh, three pigs with two shots. It was an interesting <laughs> thing. Uh, the other one, 
was, you know, and I've, I've taken game at some of those extended ranges too, but the other one was, it was a nail guy and we were hunting out of the Norius division at the King ranch. And the way you hunt those is you drive around and you find them and then they're always upset and running. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, one ran across the road, you know, big bull ran across the road and, you know, the, of course, you know, he just ran across at a 90 degree angle. Well, the guide, you know, is in an F two fifty pickup truck and I'm sitting behind him in the back seat and my dad's sitting up in the front seat and then the guide's driving. And so he's going across and this guy, and then this snow guy was really cruising. I mean, mm-hmm. he was going, he was really going fast. And so I, I started to tap the guide on there. So I knew the Nell guy was at 500, you know, just roughly around that, around 480, uh, 460. But he was, he, I was going to be able to hit him with 500 yard dope because I was shooting seven WSM. Anyway, I said, Hey, stop. I can do this. I can do this. I can take this shot. And so he stopped the truck. He looked at me like I had a horn growing out of my head. But anyway, the Nell guy was headed straight away from me. I didn't want to take the Texas heart shot. But I said, <laughs> He's going to turn. He's going to turn. He's going to turn. And whenever he turned, he turned to the left. And I just watched him. For just, I mean, maybe two seconds, and I pulled right out to like three and three quarters mil, pulled mm-hmm. the trigger, and that guy folded up like a newspaper. And it was like probably the best shot I've ever made. I mean, I can't imagine if I could repeat that again. <laughs> but and and what it was is it's just knowing about the time of flight of the bullet and you know your range to the target or rough range. And so you know the the other things, and and this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about on on um, on this podcast was actually moving targets. And uh, I couldn't really feed into moving targets unless we started to talk about, you know, why we want to get straight behind the gun. And it's also going to lead into trigger control at some point. But the, whenever you're shooting moving targets like that, you know, the, the first thing, especially in a competition, um, what I want to do is I want to know what is the size of the target. OK, so mm-hmm. what I may do, like, let's say, for example, for example, I have a target that's 0.8 mils wide and I know the range, the range is 520, right? right? He's 0.8 mils wide. And so when I know that, what that's going to do is that's going to help me deliver corrections if I need them. And so normally what will happen is if I get that one, like, let's say I decide that I'm going to hold a a Mm 1.5. Okay. So I'm holding 1.5 and I get a really good break. All right. And I see that I hit three o'clock right behind it. Okay. So, First thing on shooting static targets, I would take the width of the target and never correct anything less than half. Right. But this one, what I would do is rather, you know, the normal correction would be 0.4. Right. But what I would correct is 0.5. And the reason is because the target's going to be running into it. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, had I hit right in front of the target, my reduction in mill would be 0.3. It would be on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you're given. Uh, it, it's similar to my the way I do wind is I give myself more error on that side. Right, but the you know I listened to your wind thing. That was yeah. awesome, by the way. But the the thing about it is because the target is moving, mm-hmm. it depends on if you hit in front or behind. Or behind. Yes. If I'm going to give it, you know, uh, half plus one or half plus minus one. one, because if if I hit right in front of it. I want to go half minus, minus one, one mm-hmm. because the target is going to be moving into that steel. Right. And so what that does is that gives me it. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take up for shooter error. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm trying to solve my shooter error. And I know that at point three, if I went, if I went for that, you know, point five on it, you know, I only got point three. You yeah, know, other, you, you got to be I mean? pretty good. Exactly. But if I go with the point three, well, now I've got point five of error, mm-hmm. you know, on the back side of that. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. And I, I know you know, the, the thing about it is, is Kestrel has made it so easy for us now because you can go over, you can get the range to your target and then you can time it, you know, so you can get the speed of the yeah. target. 
And so, you know, that that's super good. You know, I mean, it works. Uh, but we used to do it. We used to do it with just a, a stopwatch and a, and a scope. We'd do it that way. And then, you know, we'd have to run all the formulas by hand. But now, you know, Kestrel has it out there that we can, you know, they can do that with their with their Kestrel. And so I, I still do it by hand. I got to figure out how to use a Kestrel. I still <laughs> look at I still time it, do the mills per second and yeah. time, time, times time of flight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that, you know, that's going to get you close. The, the problem is, is that what all of your all of your moving target formulas that are out there, you know, they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a couple of reasons why you shouldn't become too dependent on them. And the first one is keep in mind that even though the moving target formula works, it's only taken into account from the time the bullet leaves the muzzle into where it gets to the range of the target. It's leaving the shooter out of it completely. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is, okay, I decide I'm going to make a shot. My finger starts to move. Okay. I get to the wall. Uh, the trigger breaks. Uh, firing pin goes forward, slams into the primer. Primer ignites, ignites the powder. Pressure builds behind the bullet. Uh, bullet moves forward, a fraction of an inch, hits the rifling, gets up to 2,700 feet per second, and you know revolves around to the right. And all of that it is not taken into account with those no, there's, those there's time there. There's time there. There absolutely there is, is time, time there. There yeah. is time there. And so the thing about it is, is if I'm over there and, and I'm, I'm shooting a moving target, like, um, like the ones we have here, you know, like it's uh we shoot it at 400 and 420 yards and it's seven and a half inches wide. Um, you better start to, you know, get that sorted out, you know, to where, you know, what your lead is going to be. And it, it's like that by design. Um, but, you know, I've seen also, and I've used uh, targets out here. I've used targets that are like coyotes or pigs or anything mm-hmm. else. Well, there you kind of get, you get a little bit of leeway and still get a point because they're a lot wider. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? They're yeah. longer. Yeah. yeah. So they're a longer target. And, but again, that, again, that, that moving target formula that you're going to do, it, it leaves out the human factor. And the other part of it is while that would be really, really good for a match time, you know, if you're in the field, that's where you run into a problem because if you want to go and look through your scope and get your Kestrel to give you your approximate lead, and then, you know, you finally get on the scope, dial it up, everything else, you know, there, there's time there and your target was moving. And if it's moving, it's probably not going to be a target for very long. Cause it's, you know, whether it's a person or, or an animal, they're going to try to find some cover somewhere, you know, to stop being out in the middle of the open. And so that's why I kind of feel like that, you know, the, I, I, I compare the two. One of them is the, you know, the football formula as opposed to the, uh, you know, the mechanic or the, the electronic formula, you know, cause they, they both work. They really work. The problem is, is to make it work for you, you have to go practice moving targets. Now, fortunately, more and more ranges are coming up with moving targets and they have moving targets. So people are getting to shoot them more often. We use them extensively whenever we're doing our training here at rifles only. So people, I mean, Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've, I've told people out there, I said, hey, you know, whenever it's moving target day, you're actually going to tell me I've had enough of moving targets. Oh, no, it's so much fun. I'll shoot them all day. Mm-mm. Yeah, they get, no. they get a couple hours into that and they start dinging them. And then, OK, so I need to make the target smaller. OK, so I need to turn on another mover. So now they got multiple movers. And so then I start throwing static targets in there so that they got to alternate between multiple <laughs> and movers. And, and we're static. on tank traps. And yeah. And then we're on tripods. Tank traps and, and, yeah, exactly right. And so the thing about it is, is, you know, people can get really good at it. But if you just take and, it, and it's always after training so many people on movers, it's like I can tell when the light bulb goes off. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause they'll go from like a two hit pass 
oh, yeah. to a nine hit pass. Oh, yeah. You know, the light bulb just boom, light bulb goes off and, and it just it just works out really good. But again, I, I I'm not telling you what to do. If you want to use the if you want to use the Kestrel and the moving target formulas and stuff like that, absolutely. It gives you a more solid understanding of ballistics and everything else. But just keep in mind that it's it's gonna work where you're at a match and that target keeps going back and forth. But whenever you're in the field, which this is what we're supposed to be doing is field rifle, you know, that you're that animal that you're trying to hit is going he's going somewhere and it is typically going to be away from you so that's kind of what i wanted to visit with you about uh today david is just the you know the mm -hmm. the moving targets you know and what's going on there, there's also things with them as well um down here at rifles only we have the target set up to where you know that's it's we're shooting west and we normally either have a south wind or a north wind okay or some mm -hmm. sort of sort of uh you know quartering south wind so obviously that makes your lead different, you know, in either directions. What you can do is you can dial out the wind if you want. Uh, you can dial out the wind and have the same lead in both directions. Or what you can do is just keep in mind that you're going to have to use a different lead, whether the target's going with the wind or against the wind. And I, you know, I personally, I use, I, I do not dial any, any wind. And I guess that comes from just, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be shooting this target now. And then, you know, in the field, if another target's going to show up and it's 90 degrees to me and I've got wind dialed on and then mm -hmm. I forget that I have wind dialed on. And so I hold wind and then it turns out I held way too much, you know, now with the hold plus what I have dialed on caused me to have a miss. And that's a, that's a freshman mistake. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I don't want to make those freshman mistakes. I want everything to be kind of where I need to, where I need to go and have my holes based off the wind that I feel. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, that's what I was going to uh, get into is ask you. So you got into that. Um, I, I personally, it, I, I use both methods and that's what I was going to say. It, Cause there are people out there that are only ever going to shoot competitions. Right. I mean, that, for sure. that's what you're going to do. And that's, that's fine. Oh yeah, well, no, that's perfect. And if, if that's what, so for competitions, a lot of times I'll dial out the win just cause I'm trying to make it easier on myself. Right. But at the same time, if I'm, if I'm out here training or I'm doing stuff like that and I know what I'm training for, I mean, I, I know I can dial the wind out and hit them. No problem. Uh, or less of a problem. But if I'm training for a specific, whether it's hunting or work or anything, I'm going to train with the different wind holds. Cause I'm probably not going to dial my wind out no. in the field. No, uh, you're not going to have time. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so that's what I was going to say is, uh, learn to do both. Yep. I think it's good to do both. It's just like the, uh, the formulas I was going to bring up. You got to it was, the formulas work great, mm -hmm. uh, whether they're electronic or, or analog or whatever. They work fine, but you have to keep in mind uh, it's it's not like out on a competition where they're moving back and forth, and it's not the movies. The sentry doesn't just walk, you know, along yeah. the yeah. the fence line, the perimeter every ten minutes. And they're doing and the movies. They all the time, <laughs> yeah. and then you shoot them in the arm, and they run away. <laughs> and so just keep that in mind. And I was going to go back. It seems like everyone's best shot of their life is always on a moving target. Mm -hmm. Like for mine, it was, it was years ago. It was before I, you know, I was still using a lot of this, uh, circa 1970 stuff and all I w I'd borrowed a rifle. I don't even remember how old I was. I was, I was an adult, but a young adult. And it was a uh, part of 270 of all things. Uh, some, you know, probably a Nikon Buckmaster or something. And, and it, uh, it was just, I was watching the field and it was out in West Virginia and you can't uh, use dogs or anything. You have to do man drives. Yep. So they're driving it out. Next thing you know, uh, a few deer come out across the, um, the field and the closest one, it was still fairly far. It was the closest one. I, I picked that out and I didn't know a lot of this stuff that we know now. I, like you've said before, I didn't know what these things on top of you. Yeah. You had to, un, you had to take the knobby things with well, numbers on them. Well, you had, you had to take the cap off and you had to yeah. put a penny in there yeah. and who knew what that did. Uh, exactly. like two inches high at a hundred yards yeah. on a pie plate and we're good. And I was standing, go figure, standing, unsupported, mm -hmm. didn't know, I mean, I knew how to use a sling from some of the military stuff, but 
just standing there with the guys 270 and I take the shot and I part of it was luck I, I hadn't learned all to get really square and all that but I was able for the distance and all I was able to see because there was a backdrop with the field it kind of took a uh, almost had a berm mm-hmm. and I was able to see that I hit low and behind mm-hmm. and then I was able okay and I think it took about four or five shots but this mm-hmm. I mean I, if anybody hasn't seen a, a white-tailed deer when they're running they, yeah. they get down about three feet off the ground and yeah. they're, gone. they're gone yeah for sure and uh finally one of the i think i took maybe five four or five shots and finally uh, she finally just folded up mm-hmm. and the guys it was back lasers were, i stood there i was like man how far was that and the guys go out there and they range it it was 302 yards mm-hmm. and that is probably the i i don't think i'm gonna i'm not gonna tell anybody i'm gonna go hit a deer at 302 yards in the lungs ever again right Absolutely but not. It, it just illustrates this standing behind or getting straight behind the rifle and being able to see what you're doing i didn't really know this stuff or know why it was years ago before you know this stuff was probably still you were probably just starting to do this probably in the early 2000s or late uh, 90s before that yeah well yeah yeah uh well it, when i when this happened when i yeah. when i shot this yeah. so you guys were you know this was just starting to get mainstream you guys yeah. are making it big then and so i didn't know any of that but just being able to see what was happening in that optic i was yep. able to correct and i didn't know anything about there i mean obviously using some moa scope it probably didn't have anything in the, yeah, the thing a duplex yeah as a duplex and yep. i'm like well i'm gonna hold this far out ahead and like right. i said it was just more okay well i know what i maybe should hold okay i see and i change and yep. and that's that's the real world like you said if it, if it's a person and the stuff that guys are doing today in most of the work environments they're going to be on one side of a street Right. And they're going to take off and they're going to be on the other side of a street. Right. Uh, if it's out, uh, out there, like you said, pigs, I mean, it's going to be a little Sendero, which, yep. you know, for you guys, not in South Texas or Mexico or anything, that's kind of a little road, a little dirt road. Through the brush. You through a brush. Yeah. You know, a little road or a two track or a cut, whatever you want to call it on the East coast. And, and it's going to, you're going to see it. And next thing you know, it's, it's going to take off or, or just walk. Even if it walks slow across the road, you're, you're not going to have time to, no. oh, let me get my. Yeah. Kestrel and do that. set up to make that shot is too long. It takes too long. So, yeah, but you know, it, it is what it is. That's uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up about the, the formulas <clears throat> is um, we have done some uh, team matches out here at rifles only in years past. And so whenever we were doing that, my wife would team up with this uh, Vietnam veteran green beret in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So significantly older than her. Uh, and so on shooting movers, they would always, you know, score about the same, eight to 10 out of 10. She was using a 0.9 lead. He was using a 2.1. Same mover. Same mover. Close to the same bullet. Same mover, same bullet. Everybody Everything. was shooting 308s 308 back then. 308, right? 175. You know, they were all the same thing. You know, George made our guns for us. And and then that's what we were shooting. And they would have two completely different leads with not, not 10 cents worth of difference in their hit ratios. And mm-hmm. it was just, you know, he was older, a little bit slower reaction time. And she was young and you know, really, really quick on the trigger. And so that's, that's the other thing that, you know, I, I remember we had an event, it was several years back. We, we were at the brawl and, uh, we had, um, three passes on the movers, 15 rounds. That's common. Yeah. yeah that's and funny. so, uh, Regina just smoked it. I mean, she just cleaned it. Mm-hmm. I mean, 15 out of 15 and man, I'd seen it before, but with her, it was, I mean, all of these people came up. Congratulations. What was your lead? Oh, every time. Yeah. Every single time. Congratulations. What was your lead? And, you know, they just lead with the real question you want. Just, what was the lead? Exactly. Just tell me what the lead was. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about it is somebody else might use that lead and then think, oh, well, Regina was lying. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she wasn't lying. No. I mean, she's just telling her, you just have a different lead than another person. And, uh, you know, people, you know, of the same age group, they may be the same or they may be completely off. I've seen it go both ways. So that, that's just another thing that, that's out there. You're just going to have to figure out, you know, what's going on with, with your lead on that mover and what's going to work for you. Uh, what's your preference? Do you like to break on the leading edge or the center of the target? I, I always aim for center. I, I'm the same way. Yeah, I always go for center. Now, if I've got something that is just like really stands out, like one of my half mil hash marks mm-hmm. is right there on the leading edge. Well, I might yeah. use that. But mm-hmm. normally what I'll do is I, I and this is something I'm going to tell you. This is something that I, I'm still working on training myself to do. Mm-hmm. And it's even on the static targets. I, I tell myself center target, center target, center target. Some of the reasons you brought up in your, yeah. in your podcast. It's because, a constant fight. Yeah, we get we get focused on the edge. You know, we get focused on the edge. I said, man, I just if I just move a tenth more, I'll hit it. Well, yeah, if you move a tenth more and it actually was a tenth, you might hit the edge of it. And I say, I'm not that good. I want to have as much real estate out there for mm-hmm. shooter errors. That's why I go over to the, you know, to the center of the target. Um, but the... The leading on the moving targets, you know, there, there's two different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can ambush or you can track. And man, if I'm, if I really, really want to make shooters angry, I will make them shoot center fire mover, same speed from 70 yards. I hate you. I, know, I just, I just know. even, I mean, just <laughs> yeah. saying it, it makes me hate you. Yeah. Well, there's so much movement that you have to do. Uh, to you're hopping. Up. Yeah. You're hopping back and forth because you know, the, it's coming to your field of view. You got your power all the way down. You can't see your damn leads. Uh, you know, it, it's just crazy. So whenever I'm doing that, whenever I'm, I'm shooting a mover up close like that, cause sometimes I get into a little bit of self punishment. Um, I'll always track whenever mm-hmm. I'm that close. And the reason is, is like, you know, man, by the time, if I'm just, if I'm ambushing, the target's out of my field of view. It's so gone. Quick. You know, it's mm-hmm. gone. So I'll track when I'm up close. And then when I start to get further back, I'll start to ambush. And normally what I'll do is I'll kind of like, I, I did this. Okay. Remember the, when rifles only got its first moving target, I mean, guess who spent eight hours a day shooting it forever. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, and what I would do is I developed this thing to where I would track it for a little bit and then jump out in front of it. And I think That's what right. that was doing was giving me the, giving me the speed of the mover and then the time of flight of the bullet, you know, so I was kind of doing my own calculation, you know, in, in my head. And so if I'm further back, you know, I'll, I'll ambush. Mm-hmm. And I know people, I mean, that are the exact opposite, you know, they're ambushing up close and tracking out far, you know, it, it's and just same hit ratio, same hit ratio, same hit ratio. And then there's some people that, you know, we'll, we'll come out here and we'll start shooting movers, especially with the class. And you'll, you'll start to see this pattern. One person will get to where every time they pull the trigger going left to right, they hit. Uh-huh. But whenever it's going right to left, they miss uh-huh. and they haven't made that connection in their brain yet. Uh-huh. And then they'll start to get, you know, one hit and then it'll bump up to two. And the next thing you know, you know, they're just hitting it every time, either direction, because it, it takes a while for your brain to kind of figure out, you know, how to make that work for you. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's some training in there too. You got to time it to the bottom of your breathing cycle. We see that the big error with movers is, um, whenever they're getting ready to head into their, their non-shoot area into a box we'll see people kind of start to speed up. Uh-huh. And what happens is, is they'll end up low because they say, I'm going to shoot now, now and kind of push into the rifle. And so uh-huh. the round goes low. Um, the other thing is obviously, uh, you know, what I wanted to get into on, on my next, you know, really uh, rant is about trigger control. You know, that they'll, they'll slap the piss out of the trigger. You know what I mean? That's a whole podcast. Right there. <laughs> well, the, the thing about it is, it's like we go down here and we do a, we do a fundamentals evaluation on the on day one, mm-hmm. you know, hour one of, of our, our classes. And it doesn't matter what class it is. You know, we're going to do a fundamentals evaluation. If we're doing a clinic, if we're doing a two-day class, if we're doing a five-day class, it doesn't matter. 
And so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching people and I can tell what their group's going to look like just by their fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And if they're slapping the trigger, you know, I might even ask them and say, how's your horizontal on that one? You know what I mean? Cause I know they're going to be swinging oh, yeah. side to side. And then, you know, we come in, we do the fundamentals lecture and I, you know, kill them with all of these, you know, talking about the fundamentals. And so we go out there and they'll slap the trigger again. Cause that's, that we're doing on day one is just zero in guns, you know, especially on the five day class. And so I say, I'll sit there and say, Hey, while it's on the trigger, don't slap it. You know, don't slap it. Don't slap it. And I'll, I might even get over there and show them, mm-hmm. you know, hold the trigger to the rear till you see the result of your shot. You know what I mean? Do that every time. Cause that'll keep you from slapping the trigger. And then the, I mean, it's like, it, it's as if by magic, all that horizontal goes away. Oh, you see it every time. <laughs> yeah. It, all that horizontal goes away. And then we got to work on something else, whether it's breathing or natural point of aim or something. But if your rounds are going in that horizontal format, it's going to be natural point of aim or trigger control. Just, and what the big problem with that is, Okay, let's say static targets at, you know, 710 yards. Okay, so I say, all right, uh, I think right now the wind hold I'm going to use is going to be 1.2. Okay, and so then you shoot and you see you don't hit at 1.2, you actually hit at 1.7. All right, well, main thing would say hold 1.7 and pull the trigger again. But if you're slapping the trigger, what's going to happen? What happens? I mean, it's going to be in the horizontal format anyway. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. So what we need to make sure that we're doing with that trigger is we're correcting for an environmental condition, Mm -hmm. which is the wind rather than a fundamental condition, which is our trigger press. Mm -hmm. And so again, getting into that. Okay. So that's a static target in the wind. All right. So now let's really mess things up. Let's go with a moving target in the wind, you know, to where it actually has time to mess with your bullet, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, beyond 400 yards. Um, again, you know, handgun classes, we've done them. And, and that's, that's another thing. Remind me to talk about that. But anyway, handgun classes, you know, we've done them. We shoot the mover on there. And I just say, you know, I promise you from the bottom of my heart with the handgun at this range, if your sights are lined up on the target, whenever you pull the trigger on that mover, you will hit it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so close. You yeah. know, we don't have to worry about leads. But on the, oh, whenever you start to deal with the precision rifle in there, you're going to have a lead. You're going to have That's a lead. That's just the way it is. And even, even 22s, even more so. I mean, they, were, they were shooting the mover yesterday, and they had a four mil lead from a hundred yards on it. That's a, that's a fast, that's, that's getting it. <laughs> yeah, that's getting it. And so, you know, the four mil lead on it and it's just, okay, that, that 22 is, it'll really, really highlight, you know, your, your either knowledge of trigger control or lack thereof, so to speak. Yeah. And I, uh, I said a brain fart right there. Well, that's right. I forgot I everything it. I was going to say. It, yeah. out of your ears. Yeah, it just I went gone. It. I try to push it back in. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the trigger control going into that, uh, it, again, that might be a whole nother topic, but one of the biggest things I see is uh, not using a 90 degree trigger. Yeah. And that's still not that well known. I mean, everywhere I go, guys have that jointed trigger mm-hmm. pull and yeah. it's just not out there. I yeah. just don't see it. We started that here a long time ago mm-hmm. and it was, you know, one of those, you know, really people say it comes straight back on the trigger. You know, you, you heard it in the military, come straight back on the trigger, come straight back on the trigger. They didn't tell you how, how to come. Straight there is back. no, there yeah. no how, right. There's no how. Well, if you look down, if you're, it, you know, your, your trigger finger and you've got, you know, your knuckles and then that first joint, you should have a 90 degrees there. That's where it should be. And so that should be 90 degrees all the way out to your second joint out the tip of your finger. And so, um, what I do is I will get that 90 degree on my trigger finger. Cause I got to shoot a lot of different guns, you know, from different people. This is the same way I do it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll put my 90 degree on there, wherever my other three fingers and my thumb lay, I don't care. You know what I mean? Because my job is to come straight back on that trigger. And whenever I'll dry fire them, fire them. And what I want to make sure is, you know, I take up the first stage or even if I get to the wall with just a single stage trigger, I'm, I'm going to dry fire the gun. I've already checked that it's empty, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift up my head 
and I'm going to look mm-hmm. on the left side of the gun and I'm going to say, is my fingernail pointed to nine o'clock? Well, yes, it is. Well, now I'm going to come back on the trigger and I'm going to break it. And I want my fingernail to still be at mm-hmm. nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. It has to come back on the 90 degree trigger finger every single time. And again, this is opposite if you're a left-hander, but again, the, what, because the trigger is going to move sideways in inside the gun. I mean, even if you're even if you're shooting a semi-auto that's got you know a pin going through there, you're able to cause uh, differential vibrations to cause rifle hop. Okay, and this is another thing that happened to a much lesser degree than being straight behind the gun. But I kind of mentioned this earlier whenever we first started talking. But that's another reason if we're if we're going in and we're kind of curling it around, we call it captain hooking. You can't, you're, you're, it's impossible to come straight back on the trigger. If you're captain, if you're hooking it, you're coming back into the right. I, I've, I've experimented all the time yeah. at home and it just, it moves. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 if anybody's seen your rubber band deal, we can't, yeah. we're, we're not doing videos. So we can't show you right now, yeah. but we'll get, we'll show that one day and it, yeah. it, it's just impossible to do. And I've noticed, I think uh, you've, you've touched on another videos, podcast and all that is we call it a grip and that's probably not what we should call it because everybody i notice everybody wants to grab the rifle first and then wherever their trigger finger lays right that's just how it is so if right. it's if it's naturally curled or if it's hooked yeah uh if it's too far out too far in that's just where it is because they grab it whatever their palm's comfortable and when i i was actually explaining to a, a fellow law enforcement guy the other day was hey get that trigger finger first and then build your quote-unquote your grip i've gotten it to where sometimes i have smaller hands uh on a lot of these swept uh rifles hunting rifles Mm -hmm. i'm up on my fingertips yeah like but i don't care because i could still put my little bit of pressure to the rear as long as i could pull that trigger straight back i don't really care where this hand is right right well it's it's one of those things you know that the you know, like they told you, you know, in the military, they tell everybody, you come straight back on the trigger. They go, well, what? And they say, okay, here's the fundamentals, trigger control. They go, what the hell is trigger control? You know, I just what, pull it slow. Just, yeah, just pull it slow. You know, it, it just surprise you when it goes off. Yeah. No, it shouldn't. No. I need to know exactly when it's going to break. But one of the ones that I picked up from a, a different unit that I trained was proper trigger control is manipulation of the trigger without disturbing the lay of the sights. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I go over and, you know, I've been, you know, I've, I always, you know, I'm becoming more and more of a believer that, if you want to find out really how bad your fundamentals are, uh, put up a paper target with a 22 at 70 yards. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I did the, again this other day and I know I've spoken about it before, but I started, you know, dumping them in the hole. I think it was at 50 yards this time and then deliberately messing up the fundamentals. Uh-huh. And man, I mean, everything was just stacking beautifully. And then that one popped out and it didn't pop out far. It popped out three quarters of an inch, but it's there, but it's there and it showed up and it was exactly because of the lack of trigger control. It was just, and it was just specific. Then I did, I did, you know, breaking at different points in my breathing cycle. So now I was going high and low. So these, these things are, you know, they're, I didn't invent these fundamentals. So, you know, people invented them a long time ago. I guess when we first picked up a rock to throw it at a rabbit to mm-hmm. eat it, you know, I figured out, well, if I put my feet here, I can throw further. And then, you know, we started shooting spears and, you know, it's just, it's gone up. But the fundamentals, you know, it, one of the, one of the other guys that's in the army trained, you know, he, he brought this up a long time ago and he says, you know, fundamentals been putting metal to meat for centuries. And so that's kind of, no, you know, the way you look right. at it and, and trigger control is absolutely one of them. Um, it, it's just, it's another it's another small building block. And I know that what a lot of people are doing now is, you know, they're going out and they're, we're shooting little, little lightweight calibers, myself included. I'm, I'm shooting six Creed more now. And, uh, you know, just really weighting down the rifles, you know, so that the rifles don't move, you know, whenever you're shooting them, that's fine. I mean that, but that's a game, you know, and, uh, you know, one of these days, you know, I mean, I'm a match director. I might pull out an old unbreak 308 and say, okay, this is a house gun. I, uh, so the other day I, I've just been looking for different ways. And what I'll do a lot of times is, as a, you know, 
I'm getting into match directing myself is if I have an idea, I'll, I'll run it past a few people and then it's the internet. So I'll just crowdsource. I'll throw a poll up on Facebook, snipers hide, stuff like yep. that. And one of the ideas, cause I, what, I know some people, there's plenty of people and it's nothing wrong with it. They only have one comp gun. Yeah. They don't have a bunch of different rifles. Yeah. Uh, so they have that 22 pound rifle mm-hmm. that normally with these weight tuning kits and all, they can get it down to 18, 20 pounds. So I said, I was just looking at a way I don't want to make, I don't want to have to set up something where you have to go put together a whole new rifle. Right. I just want you to be able to, you know, modify yours a little bit. And I said, Hey, who would be interested in uh, a match where 20 pound weight limit? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, most people, I took a poll actually before that, Hey, your comp guns, what's the, what's the lightest you can get your weight down to? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of people in the 17, 18, some a little bit lower, but 20 just seemed to stick out. So I said, okay, well, I know where that's at. So I said, all right, guys. And I had, I took a couple of days to figure out how can I, how can I bring back recoil mm-hmm. uh, management without making them get a new gun? Right. So then it hit me. I said, take the brakes off. Yeah. Just take it off. And this is how I knew I was on the right track. I put up a little uh, thing on Facebook and snipers hide and uh and then i also said something about a pound and a half trigger or something like that some other limits uh, mm-hmm. one bag and i put a weight limit on the bag because i mean come on a 16 pound bag is getting a little crazy yeah uh but the biggest thing that people lost their minds over was no was, break was no break yeah and that's when i click i'm like oh well, maybe we might have just figured something yeah. out maybe they don't want to do it but yeah. and then i've, I've shot my i'm go take your six gt your six creed more take the break off mm-hmm. makes a big difference yeah I mean, it's, it's still, it's still got some recoil that yeah. you don't realize is there. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to see, might, might do it, you know, in the future, might not, um, give it a shot, but I'm just looking for different. And if you got an idea, send it over to us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let me look through my notes here and make sure I didn't leave anything out. Yeah. And, and while you're looking, uh, okay. that's what I tell sometimes when I'm helping out over here, uh, movers, in my opinion, they're the apex of fundamentals. Uh, and you could tell me whether you agree or disagree, but Everything has to come together. If one of those five, six, depending on which you count them, the fundamentals aren't there, you're going to have issues with the mover. I mean, it's just, and we watch it, I think it was usually like day three or yep. two or three, three, I think, something like yep. that, depending on how, what, what, it was a week long or whatever. And that's when, you know, you've had a couple of days of really uh, getting your zeros good and getting on paper, getting your dope and really dialing things in. And then we go to the movers. That's what I tell them. It's the apex. And maybe there's a better word, but for me, I just call it the, the pinnacle or the apex of fundamentals and right. you ha- everything has to be there especially especially if you're not sitting there doing your little calculations you've right. got to see what's going on there yeah well it's like lindy he's another instructor out here and he says we're going to go out here and we're going to practice shooting movers and he'll tell the students he says i don't care how many times you hit it i just want you to learn how to shoot movers mm-hmm. and it's just like the what he's basically saying is the first rule of moving targets is calm the f down <laughs> I, I love it I, i've been through it i've heard lindy do it because i've gone back to her clinics or whether it's alongside him or whatever and he, the other one i love it he's like the one thing you don't want to do when you start missing and you can go on and finish and I, every time he says this every time i'll let you do it <laughs> yeah he says the one thing you don't ever want to do is shoot faster and he basically says you're all going to shoot faster you're going to start missing I, it, it's and he's right every time i watch it like eh, he can't be right Every time. He usually is. He's usually right every single <laughs> yeah. time. They just start, I mean, and I've done it before, just hammer down, you yeah. know, let's miss faster. Yeah, let's miss faster. Whenever yeah, you start to miss, you need to just calm down. And, and usually it's going to come from, you know, lack of breathing, 
kind, low shots. You know, your, your lead's good. You're just right over the top. Well, yeah, maybe you should take a breath over there. You know what I mean? And break at the bottom of your breathing cycle. Oh, it's yeah. always a good idea. And then, uh, you know, they, they start slapping the trigger, you know, and it's just, it goes crazy. It gets really nuts whenever I've got a class that's full of semi-autos. I mean, yeah. that then it just goes absolutely crazy. And before, I, that's where I, you know what? I have brain farts back. It came back. It came yeah. back. We caught it. Uh, I was going to say he, where he pointed out the ambush and the tracking and it, it's, I don't want to call it a third way. It's just a hybrid. He already mentioned what I do. I, uh, maybe it's a, kind of a habit for work or something like that. I don't ever want the, my target, whether it's competition, real world or whatever, I don't ever want to lose sight of it if possible. But I also uh, don't prefer to track. I, it just doesn't work well for me. So I do the same thing. I will actually track. I keep the, uh, the, the mover or the target in my field of view at all times and then I jump ahead, you know, maybe twice my lead. If I'm doing 1.5, I'll jump out to three or four or whatever. And then, then I, and then I stop and I ambush it. And as soon as the shot's off and I see what happened, I'm back to tracking and I call it track bush or something like that. So uh, if you're out there and you do that, or you want to experiment it, don't think that it's, it's not something that works for me. It works really well for others. It may not, but I, I just never like to let the target on my site, but I also don't like to track. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I covered a lot of ground. I, I, I really want to get some some feedback from uh, from the people out there this time. Again, my uh, my email address is Jacob at riflesonly.com. What's yours? I have uh, I'm on Facebook. I have D Thomas three five two three at Gmail. Uh, I also uh, a bunch of people have been reaching out uh, on the high D Thomas three five two three or on Facebook David dot a uh, or David a dot Thomas. Uh, all three of those. I, I've been getting feedback from. All, all different yeah. directions. Well, this one, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, whenever I'm, whenever I'm doing, you know, the, the week long classes and, and even some of the shorter classes, we spend so much time on, you know, trigger control, you know, breathing, being straight behind the gun, you know, just the hand position on the, on the gun, uh, having that 90 degree trigger finger. And so it's, um, it, you know, it, this is one to where you, you know, send us an email, uh, send me a text three, six, one, five, two, two, four, one, six, five. Um, you know, at say, I just got a question about something that you said, whatever, because I know that we can, as much as we've talked about this, this time, believe me, this is definitely the cliff notes. It's the cliff notes version. Oh, we go forever. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's just, just those things. I mean, I haven't even gotten into follow through yet. You know, we have, we have so much other items that, that we need to discuss in the podcast. And, um, so guys, give us a feedback on it. I mean, really do that. Um, and then keep in mind also, uh, I guess we talked to Frank about doing the sniper side cup 22 edition. So, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. Uh, yeah. I gotta start. Oh, I gotta yeah. Start. So we're gonna, so much we're going gonna, on. We're gonna have that go. I don't know where we're gonna do that or not, but you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that you know, the twenty two, the rimfire. You know, like I say, it's all things rimfire and, and centerfire, and we just really want your feedback. Again, ask us questions, some topic you want us to discuss on. Um, you know, I know everybody wants Buck back, so do we, and so we'll uh, we'll pinch him down and get him to call in on the phone sometime here here within the next you know hopefully i'm, I'm gonna put his picture up yeah. so everybody knows just the if they see that guy yeah, just that guy. ambush him in the mall whatever yeah, exactly. no I, I actually today i was at the match and last week i've been around and that podcast but they like everything we're doing but that podcast is really sticking out the whole uh for me and everything the whole parallax where everyone myself everybody included uh, headed backwards yeah. and yeah. that is that's what a, a big deal and now with the 22 stuff <clears throat> most of this stuff is closer yeah and as we learned the parallax is pretty big deal close yeah, up so now that's, certainly in the ranges that we're shooting the 22 oh yeah it, it's yeah. probably one of i've i've elevated it to one of the more important things that i'm checking as soon as i get down you know maybe i might flash mill a target to see how wide it is yeah. for wind or whatever and then i check my I move my head back and forth and make sure it's there it's it's mattered 
Oh. Well, cool deal, guys. We've enjoyed it. Dave, thanks for uh, thanks for coming up and, and getting this thing done face-to-face. Our next one will probably be on the phone. So uh, thanks for being here, brother. All right. We'll see you next week or sometime this week. Yep.